Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Monday Musings with RC. I hope everybody is having a great evening. Today, I have a special guest with me. I have Gaylon Alcaraz. Welcome, Gaylon. Thank you for joining today. Thank you. So today, we are actually going to um, continue our monthly discussions, as most people know by now, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, as well as Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And so I've had on the show a number of guests who have been speaking about um, domestic violence and violence in general. And today, um, we're going to find out a little bit about who Gaylon is. Um, a lot of you all know her. I'm just going to share this with my other page here. Right. But for those of you that don't, let me give you a more formal background on today's guest. So Gaylon B. Alcaraz um, has had a long history in Chicago as an activist, an organizer, and champion of human rights. She has worked within the reproductive justice rights health movement to advocate for low-income women seeking to control their reproductive freedom. As well, she has served as founding board member of Affinity Community Services, where we met. Um, Affinity is a Black-led, queer-led organization on Chicago's South Side dedicated to social justice and Black LGBTQ plus communities. She's also a past board member of the Illinois Caucus for Adolescent Health and the Midwest Access Project. For more than 20 years, she has worked on behalf of sexual minority women, anti-violence, gender equity, health prevention, reproductive rights, as well as race and cultural issues. She was awarded her BA and MA from DePaul University and is currently a PhD candidate in community psychology at National Lewis University. She has received awards from Sister Song, Women of Color, Reproductive Justice Collective, Northwest Suburban Now, Choice USA, Chicago Foundation for Women, and Chicago Now, for her work in the reproductive rights, health and justice field. Gaylon is also highlighted in the Chicago Women Magazine, July, August, 2017 issue as one of the fierce 50 and the Chicago Reader as the activist in the 2014 Chicago Reader People Edition. In 2013, Gaylon was inducted into Chicago's Gay and Lesbian Hall of Fame, the only LGBTQ Hall of Fame in the country. Thank you, Gaylon. You have certainly accomplished a lot in your 20 years of activist work. Um, and wow, that, that was a lot. So I probably 25 years now. <laughs> 25 years. Well, with all of that, what sparked your interest in social justice? <sighs> wow. Um, so we know the personal is political, right? And so mm -hmm. you get caught mm -hmm. up in things that you feel passionate about. And I remember, um, you know, starting some, uh, you know, activism. I didn't call it activism at the time, but I mm -hmm. remember I was pregnant with my daughter, who's 26. So that was 26 years ago. I was pregnant with her and on WGCI, they were, um, Irene Mojica used to be one of the, the, the DJs right, right. and they were giving her a hard time. They would not give her like a fair slot. Like she always had like the, you know, BS one, you know, four o'clock in the morning type thing. Mm -hmm. And then I think they fired her or whatever the case may be. They were sending her through it. And I said, I'm going to write a letter to the, the editor. Cause you know, I, I would read the letters in the paper. Mm -hmm. I'm going to write a letter to the editor about this. 
I didn't even have a computer. So I was living in Roscoe Village. I didn't have a computer. I was big and pregnant. And Nicholas was five years old. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Nicholas is 30-something. And I literally got on the Belmont bus and went all the way down to, I can't even remember where that, that library branch was, but it was further northwest. Got on and went down there and got on their computer, put him on a computer for him to play games. And I got on a computer and was typing up my letters to the <laughs> That's how I am typing. And, 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 you know, and I sent them off. And I can't remember, I would have to look around for my book of clips, but I don't know if that one got published, but I just became infatuated with it. So I just started writing letters, you know, of any and everything and then all of a sudden, my letters started getting published all the time. Like my grandparents and my mother was like, gaze in the paper, get enough papers. You know, it was always like every other day, every couple of days. And, okay. you know, that's, that was activism. That was right. activism. And, you know, I, I didn't recognize it then, but it really was about like making my voice heard on, some, on something I felt displeasure about, which pretty much just leads into all my activism. Right, exactly. Yeah, so that, that's, I can say that's one of the, the key points in me getting involved, but I probably was an activist since high school. Like I was calling out racism and, you know, just, I, I was always doing something. I was always talking, like I was never quiet about stuff. And right. so I think that was, you know, one of the, that's how I kind of, I don't know, started. Fell into it? <laughs> fell, fell into it or something. My mom would, could probably tell you, you know, stories of me being a little girl and, and calling out stuff. So, right. you know, who knows? But some people are just built for it and some people, you know, it just comes naturally, whatever. That's true. That's true. Now, one thing that your bio did not say was that last year you ran for office. Um, and so I was like, oh, she said your bio and it didn't even say that. So can you tell people more about about that? Yeah, I didn't, I haven't updated my bio really. Um, so it was in 2017 um, that I ran for office. I ran. Oh, for was that long ago? Oh. Yeah. I mean, and, and then the election, it was in 2018. Mm -hmm. um, so I ran for Cook County Board of Commissioners of the fourth district. So I ran against Stanley Moore. And the reason why I ran is because we have ineffective leadership that are leading us. And, you know, I'm just tired of like complaining about it on Facebook or people, you know, complain about it, you know, just, just complaining and not doing anything about it. Exactly. Yeah. And I've done, I've done activism. I've done all type of activism. I've done organizing. I've marched in the streets. I've done all that. So the next logical choice for me was, okay, well, get on the inside right. and you can change that way. And and so just was very unhappy with what was going on in my district, uh, what's going on in my ward. And I said, why not me? And right. what's so interesting is that friends have told me forever um, to run, you're you going to run for office or run for office. And I was always like, whatever. But they also say that it takes a woman being asked seven times to run for office as opposed to a man just think that they can just do it and they run. Right. Oh, wow. But it takes a woman being asked about seven times before she runs. And I just think it was just that, that time. Uh -huh. 
Like, you know, it was, it was a, yeah, it was a, a huge task. Um, but it was like, why not me? You right, know, right. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm more qualified than a commissioner. <laughs> so why not me? <laughs> why not you? Exactly. Exactly. So for those tuning in, um, my name is R.C. Riley. I'm a writer. I'm a performer. Um, and I use my platform to um, engage and inform and empower Black and Brown communities. And one of the things that um, we're talking about this month is domestic domestic violence. I have with me today Galan Alcaraz, and she is going to share her personal um, journey of healing and her personal story regarding domestic violence. Um, so Galan, I know this is a sensitive topic for a lot of people. And um, the first time I met you, I think it was back in 2001, 2002 at Affinity Community Services, and I immediately saw you as the strongest woman ever. And I think that, um, and I remember you had written a book and I bought the book and I heard a little bit about your story, but I didn't know all the details. And because it was one of those things where we often shy away, away from talking about it, I never asked any follow-up questions. So now it's, it's 2020, I had to make sure I looked at the, <laughs> at the date here so many years later. And um, here we are and I'm asking you if you are comfortable sharing your story um, and your journey with everybody here. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I think, um, you know, when I wrote the book and I put the story in the book, uh, I was still, it was still very raw, but that was a way for me to heal is to continue to talk about it and read about it. Um, Can you tell me the title of your book? And when yeah, you my, book, my book is called Tales of a Woogie Head. Um, and so it was, it, the book was really about like, things that I have published before, uh, editorials, opinions, but it was in also stories. And so I did tell, you know, my domestic violence story. Um, I think I stopped really talking about it um, because my children were very impacted by that. And I don't want them to be, I want to still stay honest to my truth, um, but I don't want to continue to keep traumatizing them. Right. over and over and over again. Um, and so if you notice, I mean, I, I, I would post every year my domestic violence picture. Um, mm -hmm. And I just kind of stopped doing that because, you know, it impacts my children. Um, even though they're grown and they're adults, it, it impacts them. And so right. I just, I haven't posted anymore. But um, yeah, I was in, um, I was in a marriage that was not healthy um, emotionally and mentally. And I remember before it got to the whole physical piece, I was not happy, okay? And I, I, I recognized that then, but you don't know how to kind of move out of it. And I remember us being out at dinner, um, my ex-husband and the kids, and we were at, I forgot what restaurant, and the restaurant um, had the, the paper tablecloth where the mm -hmm. kids can draw with the crayon. And, you know, they was doing their little crayons and stuff. And, and I took a crayon and I wrote on there, I am not happy. I remember that. And he took the crayon and he scribbled all through what I had written. Um, and, and then, 
you know, he began having an affair. I found out about it. I found a lot of information about it. And that's when things just kind of took a turn for the worst. And he began to be very, very physical, um, not in, 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 you know, mentally, you know, abusive. Like he'd stop buying me Christmas presents. You know, it was just, it was all those kind of things. And then it, you know, I forgot what I have found or something that I have found. I can't even remember. And he jumped on me and, and really beat me up. Um, and it was so traumatic because all I was thinking about was my kids. You know what I'm saying? And they were in the front room and we were in the bedroom and it was horrific. And so... Mm. How old were they? If I can answer. Zoe was in daycare. So I want to say three or four, mm-hmm. something like that. I want to say she was 93. Yeah, it was about, she was about three or four. And, they're, and her and Nicholas are five years apart. Okay. So um, some of my friends came and they rushed me to the emergency room. I called them because he left with the kids. Um, they rushed me to the emergency room, and when I came into the emergency room, because I really hadn't looked at myself, um, the nurses gasped, they ran to call the police, and I knew that it was really bad. Oh, my gosh. And the police came in, and they were just like, you know, kind of taken back, and I had to have x-rays, I had a hairline fracture, um, and it was bad. And I had not ever, I wasn't raised in that. I wasn't raised in that. Um, I didn't, I didn't see that. And so I knew that I could not, could not go back to that. Um, and so, you know, and my mom hates to hear me say this. However, I'm glad that that situation happened to me because that was my out. I don't know if I would have stayed or not if he was not abusive, but I knew that I was not happy in that relationship with him. Um, And I think a lot of it was the more that um, I became like knowledge based, like I kept growing in my head and he was not, he was not growing. Um, You know, he doesn't have a college education, not saying that that is a key indicator, but the more that you advance, and if somebody is already insecure, they're having an extramarital affair. It's like all these like kind of little things, you know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, I, um, I, I, by the grace of God, I mean, um, my apartment complex, because I had been so involved with them in activism, um, in affordable housing, um, they changed my locks. Um, they changed the locks to the whole building. Um, you know, they told me, don't worry about nothing. You know, me and the kids were safe. I mean, I really had, I really had a lot of support, Um, which, yeah, which was a blessing because a lot of people don't have that. And so, um, so yeah, I, um, I, I remember, um, my mom was coming to take the kids back and forth to school, you know, when it had first happened. Um, and then I think probably about maybe a week and a half um, later, I went up to pick up my 
Zoe from um, daycare. And I had on the dark sunglasses and stuff. And I, I, I felt self-conscious. I felt like all the neighbors could see. You know what I'm saying? I was just feeling embarrassed. I was all that kind of stuff. And I, um, the teachers weren't, they knew something had happened. And they could see it, but the teachers weren't asking me, did I need any support or anything like that? And finally, one day I said, I pulled one of the teachers aside and I said, I need some help. Right. right. I need, I need some therapy. I need some help. Can somebody help me? Right. I'm not okay. Um, And then they linked me with um, therapist. And so, um, you know, I, I went to therapy with myself and, you know, the kids had individual therapy. And, and so I am a, a, a advocate for, for therapy and counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, it, that is pretty much the, the raw part of it, the difficult part. That's uh, a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I can't imagine just sharing with the world. Um, that that's that easy. Um, so now when you said you went to the emergency room and everybody was like, oh my goodness, at that point, physically, were you in more pain? Because I know sometimes people will say when it, there's an adrenaline, you know, when you're going through a crisis situation, you may not really be in touch with that kind of pain at that moment. But at that point, like when everybody else looked at you like this is horrific, Did you feel like, oh, I need to see myself or, well, I know you were thinking about your kids, you said, um, but were you ever thinking about you, like, how am I going to heal or? I wasn't thinking along that line, you know, I mean, I wasn't in that self-awareness part yet, but I was, I was in pain. I was in pain, like physical pain. I mean, my head was, you know, swollen. It was like, it looked like a basketball. You know, I mean, it, you know, I had two black eyes, you know, you know, a busted nose, a busted lip, swollen lips. I was in pain. Um, so I wasn't really thinking about like, how am I going to heal or what's going to happen to me? I just kept thinking like, where did he take my kids? You know, that's mm-hmm. the only thing that I kept thinking about. Right. But I also knew that I couldn't go back to that. Like my kids can't see that and I can't go back to something like right. that. So. Um, so my next question may be a little tough. Um, so if you don't want to answer it, that's fine. Um, but now you were doing a lot of work in the community, a lot of activist work and the work that you did, had you been working with women who were survivors or had you known women who were victims of domestic violence? So I wasn't doing any work with domestic violence. We all know women that have dealt with domestic violence. You know, we all know somebody that has dealt with it, whether we, um, there, or I should say, they're all around us. Mm-hmm. We may right. not necessarily know, right. but they're all around us. Um, but I actually have never done any work um, in domestic violence. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And, and, and here's a funny thing. I actually, eons ago, applied for a position at, at um, Battered Women's Network or something like that. And she didn't hire me. And, I, and then years and years and years later, I see her like she's a colleague at some kind of think tank table I was at. 
and just kind of ran into her. And I'm just like, wow, that's, that's kind of interesting. But mm-hmm. I've never, I've never done any work in domestic violence. Okay. Okay. I was going to ask if you had, had you felt like you saw the signs, but you just, it was tough to stop that cycle or get out earlier. Um, so because I had not, I wasn't raised that way. Um, I, I, I can't say about signs. I mean, I knew that he was cheating. You know what I'm saying? Like right, he, right, right. he was cheating and it was, it was signs like that, like infidelity. Right. But, and he was mentally abusive. So, you know, trying to keep me away from my family, you know, not buying me Christmas gifts anymore, you know, that kind right, of stuff. Right. Um, so he was abusive, but he wasn't physically abusive. So okay. I got to didn't recognize that, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I just, I guess I didn't recognize that. So I know there are some people that may be watching today who are in situations that they may not recognize right now. So when I do, um, talk to survivors, I kind of, just ask for some feedback, like if they were sharing with somebody else who may be in a situation, what are some things that you would say to them that might be, look out for this, be mindful of these things, or ask these questions? Yeah, and so I think, you know, there there are things that you can definitely look, look out, there are signs, and so controlling behavior, you know, someone that you know, doesn't want you to spend time with nobody else, just be focused in on the relationship with them. That is trying to isolate you from everybody. Um, Controlling behavior where, you know, divvying out the money that you're supposed to have for the household, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing, making sure that you don't have like the resources to take kind of take care of yourself. Um, Down to, you know, making you do things intimately or sexually that you don't agree with. All these things where you don't feel good inside, you know something is going on. We know when when we don't, when something don't feel right to our spirit, okay? Mm -hmm. And when it doesn't feel right to our spirit, whether you, you know, you you love the person or not, it's not right for our spirit. And we got to figure out how do we get out of that? Right. Because, you know, it is emotional. It is mental. It could be financial abuse. You know, it is definitely physical, but it's, it's like all those things, you know? And so, yeah, those are some of the things, you know, just really controlling behavior Mm -hmm. or, you know, um, will hit you and then apologize or buy you gifts. I mean, all that stuff is abuse. Right. Right. And I know some people, especially younger girls who may not, like you said, you weren't raised seeing that. So you didn't necessarily know the signs right away. And there may be some young girls or even older women who um, are in situations where they really feel like that person loves them and this is the way that they show it. And um, I've I've heard that from people before where they feel like, well, um, this person just really cares for me. And it's not just men are the only ones that are abusers. So um, whatever relationship you're in, um, whatever gender expression, people can harm another individual. And so I think it's important for people to recognize when something's been done to, to you that you don't agree with, that's time for you to kind of check back in. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's, 
for for younger for younger women now because you know we in a whole diff- different generation and so you know as i was coming along there was not that social media and so you're seeing all the social media and it's a lot of negative it is stuff out of there and it's the reality tvs and it's the women fighting against each other and it's the right. men you know it's all and pe- these generations are seeing that and that becomes their normal mm-hmm. that's not normal that's not normal and so you know I think the biggest thing, and you know, and I'll talk about this in, when we talk about resources, but I think the biggest thing is you got to find value in yourself. You know, when you truly love yourself, you do check stuff that comes your way and doesn't feel good, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like that don't feel good to my spirit, right. you know, and so um, you got to find value in yourself. A lot of us young people are dealing with so much trauma. We don't break these generational curses. And so you've got all these generational curses. You've got this trauma. And all that comes in and plays in how you live out your life. And so if you had a parent that didn't love you, if Mm -hmm. you were sexually abused, you know, all these different things come and play out in your relationships. And if you don't heal from that stuff, if you don't right. move on from that stuff, you're in a place where you, you draw this type of energy to you mm-hmm. and draw these different type of people to you, you know, that can play off your weaknesses. Right that can, you know, play off your insecurities, that can wrap you up into stuff that you don't really want to be in. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, with the younger generation, I just, I have a lot of empathy and compassion because we just didn't, sure. we didn't, we didn't see all that stuff on social media. Right. We didn't see all that stuff. We, just, right. we didn't see like you, mm-hmm. like you said, it's normalized. So people think, well, if that's the bar and if, if getting hit every once in a while is the bar and I'm only getting hit, you know, once a week and, what I'm seeing is every day, well, then I'm good, you know? Um, And I think to recondition people is to, that's a, it's a societal issue because it's how we look at women, how we look at people who are at a disadvantage that don't have as much money as someone else. It's the resources that we um, give to different communities. It's all those things that keep people from getting what they need when they are in crisis early on before it gets that far. Because if you have communities of people who don't have a way out of situations, who don't have the support, they weren't raised with the support, if there aren't counseling services because there's not money put into those mental health services in their communities, then they'll stay in those situations longer because they really don't have any place to go. That's just not a cop out. Exactly. Exactly. And so when we're talking about things like voting um, and people will say, well, certain things have nothing to do with the other, but they do. We vote for people who are going to have um, certain agendas and those agendas should be reflective of the needs of the people in this nation. So whatever your needs are, you should be voting for people who have those same things in mind. And it, it goes all the way down to things like resources for people who have experienced domestic violence. You can tie everything to voting if you ask me. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, people um, who can't speak up and out, I think definitely should. 
I applaud you. You know, I, you are one of my mentors. I, I love you to death. Um, thank you for coming on the show. And I guess I also want to ask, how do you think that your experience with domestic violence has impacted you um, both positively and otherwise? Yeah. Um, so it is a part of my story, but it's not just my story. And so I think that um, it did allow me to really focus on self-care. Self-care meaning like I really took care of myself. I went to therapy and I would continuously go to therapy if I needed it back and forth throughout the course of the years. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it also made me realize that I don't have to, you know, I don't have to stay in situations. I am not defined by an intimate relationship. Um, I am, you know, fully formed and, you know, and it's okay. You know, you don't have to, you know, be in this relationship and be married or whatever to make your place in the world. You know what I'm saying? And so I think it made me look at that as well. Um, and to be selective of the people that I wanted to be involved with. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think that that also is, you know, you know, defined me, um, in a positive way, um, writing about it and reading about it helped a lot of other people, you know, um, just, you know, women coming up to me and, you know, talking to me about it and that kind of stuff. So it did impact people. And to me, that's a positive, um, you know, obviously the negative is when you're going through that situation, right? right? And then, you know, you're raising young kids and you want them to be with their father and, you know, all that kind of stuff that goes with that. Right. And but so, I think that's something to talk about because that's real and that's an issue yes. that people have as to why they stay. People will say, well, why would somebody stay if somebody was beating on them? Well, it's complicated because you, and then I, I feel like as a Black woman, oftentimes we feel like we don't want our children to be a statistic and to not know who their father is. Right. Or we don't want to be the, the one to have our kids say, you kept me from, you know, they turn into teenagers and now blame you for keeping you from the other parent when they don't know what was going right. on with the other parent. Exactly. And so that's one of the things that I did not do is I did not talk about him to them. You know, um, I never talked about him with them around. Okay. Um, and so they had the opportunity to get to know him on their own. Okay. Reality is a person can be a good father and not a good partner. You know, um, people can be good parents and not be good intimate partners. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is the reality. Not saying that he's a good good dad or anything. I'm just saying that that is the reality. And so I wanted them to learn their own relationship with them. And they have, they've learned right. their own relationships and they have their own way of how they interact with right. him. Right. Um, that's outside of me. And they have learned, you know, different things over the course of the years. So, you know, I didn't have to say anything. And I think that's the most important thing is like, I never tried to keep him away from them. Okay. I never, you know, said, no, you can't come and get them. Like, I don't understand women that, you know, want to keep the children if, if if he's not if he's not being abusive to the children or he you know predator and all that kind of crazy stuff or murderer mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff 
let him take care of his kids. <laughs> you know, I need a break too. You know, mm-hmm. so I never stopped him from getting them. I never stopped him from, you know, being engaged with them or, or whatever. Um, and I let them develop their own relationship. Okay. So I do get it. I do get like women stay for a variety of reasons. Right. Right. Yeah. They stay financially, you know, they stay, you know, you know, cause they don't feel like they're worth it or they won't be able to find anybody else or right. they need a roof over their head. They, they're not working. They stay for a variety of reasons and we can't blame women for any of that. I think when a woman is ready and, and she's ready to go, she'll go. Right. Yeah. She'll go. Yeah. So some people may be asking the question, do you still communicate with him? Do you have a relationship with him? Actually, actually I do. I don't have a, re- I wouldn't say it's a relationship, but um, I would say probably when my grandbaby was maybe two, he apologized. Oh, wow. He did apologize um, verbally. We, you know, oh. we were face to face and he apologized. Um, How did you and- receive that? I just said, okay, I don't, I, you know, I just said, okay, you know, um, I, was, I was beyond it at that point. You know what I'm saying? It was, it, you know, I didn't have no feeling, you know, I don't have no feeling towards him. So I think he did it for him, you know, um, he's a deacon at a church, at a church. So I think he did it for him. Um, but you know, people got to get their own healing however they get their own healing. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, you know, I saw him probably like maybe in June or July. Um, He always asked the kids about me. So, you know, um, he did, he did end up marrying a woman that he was um, involved with. Um, But he always asked the kids about me and I saw him probably this summer. Um, He wanted to see his grandson and, you know, he, it was just very open and just friend, you know, just very friendly, but I don't, I'm not friends with him. I'm not close friends with him. It's just, you know, we are not at that place anymore and I don't hold no animosity. I just, okay. I've moved on and I, you know, I've healed and I, you know, I got my healing. So All right. that's good. That's good. So um, what are some resources that you know of, um, for women out there today that may still be in the situation, might not be ready. Um, we're not placing any judgment. If anybody out there is currently in an unhealthy situation, a situation where um, there's violence mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, sexually, uh, we hold no judgment. If you are not ready to go, we understand that. But when you are ready, there are resources. And in the meantime, for everyone out there, it is not your fault. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve any of it. Um, and so we just want to share some resources. Yeah. So I wrote down a couple of, um, resources now, you know, these are, these are some shelters and some housing resources. I didn't have to utilize any of these things, but, uh, between friends, um, is, um, a domestic violence resource and Sarah circle Mm -hmm. is a domestic violence resource. But women can also call, they could call either one of those and get additional resources. Um, They could call 311 and get additional resources. Um, But I want to also give these resources that we kind of don't talk about. You know, we just kind of talk about these other like, you know, here's a shelter kind of thing. Therapy is like key. 
it is key because not only are you going to deal and heal with that situation, but what other traumas in your life from your childhood that maybe you need to heal from. Um, so I will say therapy. I went through the Family Institute. The Family Institute is income-based. Um, at the time I went through it years ago, they had um, a couple offices downtown, but they are their main offices in Evanston. Um, but you can always call um, the Family Institute. Um, I will say self-care. And self-care means putting yourself first. And yes, we are mothers, but and parents, but um, you do have to heal and take care of yourself so that you can pour out to others, to your children, um, if you want them to be healthy. So what is self-care? Self-care could be a variety of things. You know, for me, it was the therapy. It could be getting your nails done. It could be exercise, taking a walk. Um, you know, I run, I, you know, I walk. Um, it could be support groups and support groups. People be like, Ugh, support groups, but it could be, it could be an affinity. It could be a book club. It could be a run group. Um, it could be all those things that you are around others that you relate to um, and that you build relationship with um, people right. that understand and that are compassionate and that will pull you in and hug you and care for you. Um, so it could be all those things. Um, and then you really have to be intentional in your thoughts and your actions. And, you know, that's, that's a place of healing. Um, because when you have to look in the mirror at yourself and figure out, I got some stuff that I got to do to get myself together. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes a lot to get to that place. People right. cannot look at themselves and say, I'm not liking what's, what's, what's looking back at me. I got to get myself together. People just can't do it. You have to be intentional about like, what is the type of life that you want to live? And then you need to think it, speak it, write it, and then do it. And if you continue to put this stuff out into the universe, it will vibrate back to you, mm -hmm. but you got to be intentional about it. You know what I'm saying? This, this really requires you to tear yourself down where you vulnerable and rebuild yourself. Right, right. You can be whatever you want to be. You, right, know, you, yeah. have, you are in charge of you and something can happen to you, but it's not, that's not all you. And so that is a part of something that happened to me, but I don't carry that on my back like, oh, woe is me. Right, right, right. No, I, I don't do it. So I think that's one of the one of the, the biggest resources I think that we can we can, you know, pull for myself is we got to do some inner healing. Right. We can be our own resource. We can, we can be our own resource. That's that's good to know. That's empowering to know that you have it within you. You might not have tapped into it right now, but it's there. So when you're ready, it's available to you. Exactly. Exactly. And the other thing is we have to not be afraid to ask for help. You know, ask for what you need. People don't help you if you don't ask. I don't know what you're going through unless you tell me. Right. You know right. what I'm saying? 
if if I need something, you see me on Facebook and you see me on social media. I ask people, I beg people, uh, I need a donation, uh, buy this, uh, this, this, you know, I ask, I go out there and ask. And so you mm-hmm. have to be an advocate. If you need, like I asked that teacher, I said, I need some help. Right. I need some help. Like somebody needs to help me. I need a counselor, I need a therapist, something. Right. And then they linked me to something. Mm-hmm. You know, Cause sometimes people may, see something going on they probably saw my black eyes but they probably was they were black women so they probably was very nervous and didn't even know Mm -hmm. how to approach it or say anything or whatever and sometimes you just need to open the door for somebody to help you so that's another thing it's just you got to be your advocate you got to go out there and you got to ask for what you need right and I would say, too, with um, people that need resources for therapy and they don't know where it is, you can call the domestic violence hotline 24-7. They will give you those resources. Um, you can also walk into any neighborhood clinic and just ask the front desk for resources for um, counselors. Um, you should be able to walk into the emergency room and just ask somebody there about resources, but um, certainly your neighborhood clinics as well as domestic violence hotline. Right. Um, and I will post those numbers to the domestic violence hotline, um, Sarah's Circle, and a couple of other resources. Yeah. So Today we've been talking with Gaylon Alcaraz um, and we heard her survivor story. I think it's an empowering story, especially if you know Gaylon and seen uh, all of the work that she's done and continues to do, all of her accomplishments um, and how strong of a person she is. And even those of us who feel like we're so strong, there may be moments when we don't think that we're tuned into our strength. Um, and if you're not in that place right now where you're tuned into your inner strength, don't worry. There are people out here praying for you, rooting for you. There are resources out here available to you, and you do have it within you. You have that power. Don't let anybody make you believe you don't. When you are ready, you will tap into that power. You will seek the help that you need, and you'll get out. So that's been our show today. Thank you all for watching Monday Musings with RC. Um, I'll see everybody back again next Monday for another topic. And again, I want to thank you, say thank you to our wonderful guest, Galen Alcaraz. I appreciate you sharing your personal story of healing and of empowerment. So thank you for blessing us. And thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Good evening, everyone. Thanks again for listening. This episode has been brought to you by Fit Life Give, a Black-owned, queer, and trans-friendly luxury mobile spa. Fit Life Give specializes in couples and individual massage, from corporate events to spa and pamper parties all across the Chicagoland area. Massage is a form of fitness, and you need to have a fit-filled life in order to give to others. So book Fit Life Give for your next event or personal service. That's fitlifegive.biz.